Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. All right. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them to Revelation chapter 4. Now, we are entering today a new section of God's Word in, in the book of Revelation. Now, we've talked about uh, the fact that, that God uh, has given us an outline for His Word. And in that outline, we have covered the first two parts. And you will remember the first part of it was Jesus told John the Revelator, he said, I want you to write these three categories of, of future. He says, first, I want you to write what you have seen. And that's chapter one. That's the resurrected, glorified Jesus differently than he was seen in the gospels. And then he says, I want you then to write the things which are. That's the church age. That's where we live. Last week, we finished the church age in looking at it. And it finished with the church of Laodicea, the nauseating church, the Luke warm, apathetic, miserably defeated church. And that is the world we live in, in the church. Not here, I'm glad, but it's easily could be. But generally speaking, that is the era, the last stage of the church age is a nauseating church, a church that's, that God just looks at and he says, you kind of make me want to throw up and we don't want to be that church. Now we leave that chapter three with the church age. And in uh, Revelation 1, 9, Jesus said, after you write the things which are, I want you to write the things which must take place after these things. After what things? After the church age. After the church is gone. In Greek, it's called the metatate, not the akunamatate, the metatate. It is the things which must take place after these things after the church. So I, I titled today's message, oh, by the way, if you've got an empty worship guide, hold it up. Let me see it. Yeah, I gave it to you empty because I want you to write some notes. Okay. Also, I want you to look, I want you to realize what the bulletin, what the worship guide looks like after the church is gone. You see, there's something cataclysmic. The most significant moment short of Jesus's resurrection is getting ready to happen between chapter 3 and chapter 4. Something major on God's eternal timeline happens. And that thing is the removal of the church. And when the church is removed, which we will talk about today, that's what your bulletin's going to look like. You see, there's no need to have an announcement in there about how much offering was last week. There's no need to have an announcement about how many people attended last week. There's no need to have in there an announcement for a Christmas ladies tea. There's no need to have an announcement in there for upcoming mission trips. Because when chapter four begins, the church is gone. And when the church is gone, there's no need for all that stuff. So that's why I gave you an empty bulletin. The title of the message, you can write it in there, is Sunday After Church. Have you ever said Sunday After Church? You probably have. It goes like this. You know, we hadn't went to visit your mother in a while. We need to go. When are we going to go? Let's go Sunday after church. 
hey, it's almost Christmas, and we have not gotten any of our Christmas shopping done. We need to go shopping. Man, my schedule's full. When can we go? What about Sunday after church? Okay? You know, we hadn't met with these friends in a while. We could go to lunch. When are we going to go? Sunday after church. Man, I am wore out, and I never get a chance to take a nap. But I know when I'm going to take one today, Sunday after church. All right? Now, I titled it Sunday after church. Let me complete the title. Sunday after church is gone. Sunday after church is no longer on the earth. You see, there's something terrifying, something tremendous, something terrific that's going to happen at the end of the church age. And that is the church is removed from this planet. And there's going to be a churchless age for those earth dwellers who are left behind. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, when I was telling Carol, who, who our administrative assistant, she takes care of our worship guy, does a great job. And I told her, I said, uh, I said, I told her what I was going to do with these blank bulletins. By the way, you can pick up the real thing on your way out today if you like to read them. Okay. I told her, I said, well, I'm going to do this blank bulletin. She said, why? I said, because when the church is gone, no need for a bulletin. So I asked her a loaded question. I said, okay, if, if Jesus comes back for the church this week, are you going to do a bulletin next week? And she goes, I'm with the church. <laughs> I said, this is a, is a trick question. I'm glad you answered. I was going to put the gospel on her if she's planning on a bulletin next week. Okay. Okay. I, I, and I got to thinking about it. I'm with the church. We shouldn't wait until Jesus comes, splits the sky open to gather his church on a cloud to decide that I'm with the church. Because if we wait until that moment to decide I'm with the church, it may just be too late. And you are not with the church because the church has been taken away and you're left behind as an earth dweller. So here's what we do. We play games just like Zach did with his, with his spiritual eternal condition. He said, well, I got baptized, you know, that was cool. But it wasn't real. He said, then I said a prayer and I still didn't get it. There's some of you today. That's you. You, you identified with his testimony. The Lord Jesus does not, has not taken residence in your life. You may have made him savior, quote, but you have not made him Lord. He can't be savior if he's not Lord. That is a package. When he comes to save you, he comes to take over you. Okay, And so some of us need to get to that reality where we say, I need to consider, I need to do what Scripture says to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Last night, Johnny Cox and Karen were over here to get ready for church, doing some, getting ready for children and preschool. And Johnny called me and he said, I don't know if you know it, these bulletins have nothing in them. <laughs> he acted like he was checking on the bulletin. He really, I believe, wondered if he had been left behind. <laughs> the rapture, okay? I think that was his, the core of why he was so worried. So, so, so I want you to know in heaven, one day there's going to be three surprises. This is what they say. Surprise number one is, uh, is who's not there. You know, we get to heaven and we're looking around. You seen Uncle Ted? Man, I just knew Uncle Ted would be here. I remember when I was 16, I'd have him money. He would loan me money. I remember he would go to church every now and then. Uncle Ted, is he not here? You're surprised. You'll be surprised at some of the people who don't make it. And the second surprise is the people that do make it. You're going to run into somebody and go, how'd you get here? If I was a betting man, I'm not. I'm in heaven. Okay. If I was a betting man, 
<laughs> that sounded like if you gamble, you're going to hell. I didn't mean it that way. But you, you, you say, how'd you get here? If, if, if I would have never considered you, I thought you were going to the other place. You know, that's surprise number two. Surprise number three is when other people look around and find you there. Amen. All right. And so, so, so we, we need to consider the idea of heaven. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. If it was not so, I would have told you so. And he whispered all of existence in six days. I believe literal days. He's been in heaven, building heaven for us for 2000 years. Man, it's got to be good. It's got to be good. Now, we are going to get to see a sneak preview of heaven today. And so, in Revelation chapter 4, look at your neighbor and say, Sunday after church. On your notes, write this, a timeline. There's a timeline to what God does. You see, God has an eternal timeline that extends eternally past and eternally future. Nothing happens that's not already on the timeline. You see, he's om, omniscient, all-knowing. He, there's nothing that surprises him. Oh, I forgot that. I need to put that on my timeline. Okay? He's got it already there. And there's a moment in time on his timeline when something big happens. It says here in verse 1 of chapter 4, After these things I looked. There was a door, and it was standing open in heaven. And the first voice I had heard, speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, so that I can show you what must happen after these things. Now, you remember last week in Laodicea, we had the door, and we found Jesus standing outside the door, gently knocking. And, and, and that door is required by you to open and that is the door that lets Jesus come into your life. See, he doesn't kick it in. He doesn't blow it in. He doesn't annihilate it. He stands outside and knocks. And he wants you to open the door and let him in. But there's other doors that God opens. The door to heaven. Here we find a door is swung open. And, and this trumpet voice, which is Jesus, says, Hey, John, I want you to come up here and look. And I'm going to show you what must take place after these things. The metatate. After the church age I'm going to show you what's next. Now, John gets a view of, of what's in heaven. So, 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 hello. So on that timeline, so on that timeline, he gets to see uh, what the future looks like. And so he says now in verse 2a, how's he going to get a look? It says, immediately I was in the spirit. Tell your neighbor that's fast. You see, the Bible says that God changes everything in the twinkling of an eye. Sometimes we measure it like a, a blink. You know, it takes this whatever time, fraction of a second to blink. That's nothing. It's the speed of light shimmering across the eye. It's super fast. And this is how things change. You see, sometimes we think, okay, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be this morphing like a caterpillar into a butterfly, and we're all going to fly to heaven. No. One minute we're sitting here, and in the twinkling of an eye, everything changes. And there is no time to make a spiritual adjustment in our course. It's over. Time is up. So now we see the transport. He says in verse 2a, immediately, 
I was in the spirit. So he has a timeline. He has a way to get there, a transport. The third thing I want you to see is what he sees when he steps through the door. It is a throne. Now we get these crazy ideas that we just fabricate about what heaven's going to be, that we're going to show up in heaven and St. Peter is going to be standing at the gate, right? And he's going to card you in essence. He's going to look in the book like Santa Claus and see if you've been more nice than naughty. And if you've been better than you have batter, you get in, right? He's got this scale up there. Silliness. St. Peter ain't standing at the gate. Listen to me. St. Peter has nothing to do with whether or not I get into heaven. Jesus is the only one that has anything to do with whether I get into heaven or not. Okay. And my response to him. So, so you don't see St. Peter. And then people say, I just can't wait to get to heaven. I want to see my mamaw. You know, I love my mamaw. I can't wait to get to heaven. And you're going to get to see him. But when you walk in the door of heaven, the first thing you see ain't going to be your mamaw. Matter of fact, she probably already forgot about you. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. She's caught up by Jesus, man. You fail in comparison to Jesus. Okay. Listen what he sees. He says now, in the second part of two, he says, when I got there, I walked through the door. And he doesn't, it doesn't say if he went physically or spiritually. And we don't know. Paul went to the third heaven. Paul said, I'm not sure if I was out of the body or in the body. I just don't know. Because when you're consumed by the presence of God like that, you just ain't sure where you're at. Okay? Now he says, there was a throne standing in heaven, and someone was seated on it. And the one seated on it was like Jasper and Carnelian or Sardis in appearance. And a rainbow looking like it was made of emerald encircled the throne. He, he says, when I looked in there, it blew my mind. He, he doesn't even have words to properly or appropriately describe what he saw. So he's going to use some stones. He says, first of all, he said, I saw like a jasper. Now, a jasper is a clear, radiant, light, refractoring um, stone. It would be like our diamond. He says, man, when I looked at the throne, it was like a diamond in all of its purity and all of its radiance and all of its glory, man, it was just shining in my face. And he says, and then I see a Sardian or Carnelian stone, which is a ruby like red pointing to the redemptive nature of Jesus on the cross. And he says, it's just everywhere. It's just, it's just emanating all around the throne. Just this diamond shine and this ruby, uh, this ruby, uh, red light is everywhere. And he says, now look around and there's like a ruby, excuse me, an emerald rainbow around the thing. And it's a complete circle. And we know the rainbow was a covenant that God made that he wouldn't flood the earth again. And now it was a half rainbow. Now he sees the whole circle around this throne and it's emerald green everywhere in the Bible. Emerald green means life. And so there's, a, there's this eternal life around this throne of glory that he sees. Now this isn't the first time that these stones have appeared. If you read the Old Testament, the priest had a breastplate, and on the breastplate would be 12 different stones, a stone for each tribe. And the jasper stone was the first stone, and the carnelian or the sardis was the last. And so those colors even point to the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end of all that Jesus and his Father and the Spirit is. 
now it gets a little weird because we're not certain what these next ones mean. He says this, now I looked and there was in the circle around the throne, there were 24 other seats or thrones. And seated upon those thrones were 24 elders. And they were dressed in white clothing and golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came out flashes of lightning and roaring and crashes of thunder. And so John's like, man, this is, I don't even know how to write this. And so he describes now this throne of glory and beauty and this emerald green uh, rainbow that goes all the way around. And, and now he sees these 24 thrones. Now, who are on these 24 thrones? Okay? It's not going to be your pastor. Okay? It's not going to be Joe. It ain't going to be Kyle. It ain't going to be Brother Mike, Second Baptist. Okay? Who are they? We, honestly, we don't totally know. But we can learn something about them. Because when we read, it says they were wearing white clothing, white robes, white raiment. raiment white raiment represents the righteousness of Jesus. And so they're identified as those who are washed clean. They've washed their robes in the blood of Jesus. So they're redeemed. It certainly looks that way. Not only that, but it says they were wearing a crown. Now there's primarily two kinds of crowns in the Bible. There's the uh, diadem and there's the Stephanus. The diadem is the crown for the sovereign one, for the king, for God. The Stephanus crown is a victor's crown given to like somebody who runs in the Olympics and they win and they get a crown. Well, we know that we're crowned in his glory. We know that this also points to those who are redeemed. So, so who are the 24? Who are they? I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you what a lot of theologians believe. These 24 elders represent the redeemed of the world throughout all time. That, that you have 12 who come from the Old Testament because they're, they're saved because they believed in the coming Christ. And you have the 12 apostles. The, the 12 in the Old Testament would be one of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And then you have the 12 apostles, those redeemed post-Jesus' resurrection. We believe and are saved on what Jesus did in the past. And so, who are the 12 apostles? Well, we know there were 12, and then Judas got nixed and hung himself. They, they, they cast lots, and they got Matthias. Is it Matthias and the other 11? We don't know. I think it's probably Paul. I think Paul's got a special place, okay? We're not sure. But we know they're redeemed because they're wearing white clothing. They're wearing crowns. Also, if you read forward, in Revelation 5, verse 8, they sing a song. They sing a song. And they play a harp. You know? Listen to what it says. It says, and when he had taken the book, this, he's talking about Jesus, the four and twenty elders, they fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. And this is their song. You are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood... You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. 
So I believe the redeemed. I believe the 24 elders are a representation of all of the redeemed. I think all of the redeemed now are around this throne, man. And when Jesus takes the seal, everybody just follows the lead. They just fall down and worship. So you have God the Father seated on the throne. When you look in, in, the, in the next few chapters, you'll find Jesus standing up beside him. And now we find it says there were seven flaming torches, which are the seven spirits of God. And they were burning in front of the throne. Now we know from looking at chapter 1, there's not seven Holy Spirits. There is one Holy Spirit. And we looked at Isaiah and we saw the seven manifestations of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So now when, you, when he's standing at the door looking in, he sees this amazing throne. He sees these other thrones. He sees an emerald rainbow. And, and he's, now he sees the Holy Spirit burning in front of this throne. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's so different than what we think heaven is, you know, or it was for me. I know you got it figured out, but your pastor doesn't. And when I'm reading this, I'm like, man, I get stoked because I know I'm going, you know, and, uh, and so he, he continues and he says, in the middle of the throne now and around the throne, we're, here it gets a little strange. He says, four living creatures. Now, your, your Bible, your translation may say beast. That's not a great translation for that word. The Greek word is zoon. It's creatures. They're, these are not evil or bad beasts like you read later in, in the book of Revelation. He says, and these had, they were full of eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second creature like an ox. The third creature had a face like a man. And the fourth creature looked like an eagle flying. I mean, now it gets strange. Well, what is this? Theologians kind of sum it up in two major ways. They say, they say first of all, the creature uh, uh, is, is, is a representation of the nature of God. Uh, him being a lion is the king. The lion is the king of the beast. This points to the majesty and the power of God. Uh, the second is an ox, which points to the patience and the laboring and long-suffering of God. The third is a man, wisdom and knowledge and rational thought. The fourth is an eagle, the greatest among birds, representing sovereignty and supremacy. There are those who believe they represent the four books of the gospel. That, that in Matthew, Jesus is presented as the Lion of Judah. Mark is presented as the faithful servant, like an ox. In Luke, Jesus offered, God offered himself in the form of a man. Named Jesus, uh, in John, the divine Son of God is his points to his supremacy as an eagle. We honestly don't know. Ezekiel ten calls them angelic beings, so we're not sure who these four creatures are. But they're there for a purpose, and they lead in worship. So we have a time, we have a transport, we have a throne in heaven, and now we have a testimony. Steve and Zach gave their testimony. And I just want you to know, if you're here today and you don't have one, if you don't have a testimony that includes your life separated from God, having an encounter with the Holy Spirit who calls you out and convicts you of your sin, and you received that grace gift into your life, and you are born again in Jesus' name, if your testimony does not include that, you don't need to worry about what heaven looks like. You need to worry about the other place an eternal place called hell that Jesus talked about more than heaven. It's that serious. Your testimony is critical. And, and people say, well, I don't share my testimony, partly because they don't have one. And it's really, really 
important that you have a testimony about what Jesus has done in your life. Listen to the testimony. It says, so each one of the four living creatures had six wings and was full of eyes all around and inside. And they never rest day or night. This is what they sang. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the all-powerful, who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders then throw themselves to the ground before the one who sits on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they offer their crowns before his throne. And they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power since you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. Listen, we, we have a, a response time every week. And sometimes people come forward to be saved. Sometimes people come forward to pray. But many times God is whispering into the hearts of people and they're so prideful they will not respond to the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what it is, but something about doing this is really weird for people. Something about posturing ourselves before God is, is difficult for us. I want to tell you, there's a day coming when this is where we will find ourselves. Humbly bowing before an almighty God. And, 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 and I guess I'm like, what are we waiting for? You know, why are we not singing with all of our hearts now? I mean, like Carol said, I'm with the church. If, if, if you're going to be with the church, we're going to be worshiping in heaven. If you're with the church, we're going to be bowing in heaven. What are we waiting for? Why do we not sing? Well, I don't know those words. That's why we put them on the screen for cheat notes, okay? Well, I, I just, I got bad knees. <laughs> None worse than mine. I'm hoping I get up, okay? Why is this? The Holy Spirit should have the freedom to whisper into our soul. And draw us to a place of awareness of our great God that drives us to our knees in worship and adoration. Because we're going to be doing it. Hey, it worked. We're going to be doing it for all of eternity. Now, let's talk about this thing. What happens between chapter 3, the nauseating, lukewarm church, and chapter 4, where John gets to go up into heaven? So far, for 2,000 years, the church has had prominence. The gospel has been proclaimed. So far in the book of Revelation, it's been the church, 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 the church. We're getting ready to enter no church. The church will not be mentioned again on this earth. Between chapter 4, verse 1... Until you get to the very end when it returns with Christ, when he sets up his eternal, excuse me, his millennial reign upon this earth, what happens? What happened between those two verses? I mean, one minute we're, the, we're just lukewarm and nauseating, and then the next minute, bam, the church is gone, okay? And you got an empty bulletin standing, staring yet in, in the face on Sunday. What's up with that? It's called the rapture. Let's just talk about it, call it what it is. Anybody ever heard of the rapture? Yeah. Has anybody ever had you, has anybody ever come to you and say, yeah, that whole rapture thing, <laughs> in case you didn't know, it's not even in the Bible. Anybody ever told you that? Yeah. 
Well, the next time they say that, you can look at them and say, wow, that's a revelation. Did you know Bible's not in the Bible? Hello, it's not. It's on the Bible right here. It's on mine, Holy Bible right there. Okay? But it's not in the Bible. What about Trinity? It's not in there either. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the triune Godhead, it's not in there either. Let me tell you something. The Trinity, just because the word Trinity is not in there, is real. Okay? The Bible, God's Word, although it doesn't say Bible, it's real. And the rapture, although the word's not in there, it is real. So the next time that you want to really mess them up when they say, yeah, did you know the rapture is not even in the Bible? You know, just scoffers. You can say, yeah, did you know the harpazo is? And I'm ready for it. I hope you are. Just leave them hanging on harpazo. Okay. And you may be thinking, I don't know what harpazo is. I'm going to tell you in just a minute. Okay. Everybody say harpazo. Next time somebody says the rapture is not even in there, you say, no, Harpazo is. You leave them hanging in Harpazo. Okay? Now, where is Harpazo in the Bible? <clears throat> and what is the Harpazo? Okay, listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 4:15. It says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. This is God's word to you. He says, That we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. It's the catching away. That word harpazo appears several times. In fact, here's what it means when it's mentioned. Four times it means to be uh, caught up. Two times it means to be caught away. Two times it means to snatch. Three times it means to take by force. Two times it means to pluck. And one time it means to pull. So let me tell you what's going to happen between chapter three and chapter four. God, the father is going to look to his right, uh, to his right, seated to his right side. And he's going to say, Jesus, go get your church. Jesus is going to rise and he's going to descend from heaven, not all the way to the earth, because that is the second coming. This is, this is the rapture the harpazo. The Bible says that he will stop in midair on a cloud and he's going to catch away, catch up, take, pull, rapture the church to meet him in the air. And it says the dead start first and we that are alive catch them in the air. They got six feet further to go. And so we're going to meet them in the air. And you say, well, wait a minute. I thought when I died, I went to heaven. Your spirit goes to heaven. Your body doesn't go to heaven. It ain't ready for the trip. You see, your soul, you are a soul with a body, not a body with a soul. You are a soul with a body. And when Jesus comes into your life, when God looks at you, post Jesus saving you, he sees the righteousness, the rightness of Jesus all over your life. When you look in the mirror and the devil uh, reminds you how pitifully sinful you are, that's what you see, and that's what the devil sees. When you're in Christ, when God looks down at your pastor, he sees me saturated and immersed in the rightness of Jesus. My soul is ready to go. So if I die, if I pull out down here and somebody runs over me and kills me, 
My spirit is ready for the trip. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But my body is going to be cremated or put in a box, fed to the cats or whatever Kendra decides to do. I hope not the cats. I hate cats, okay? I don't like fire either, but, you know, it's better than cats. But whatever she does with my body, it stays here. So when Jesus comes back, he brings the souls of the saints with him, and their bodies are glorified. They're resurrected, and we that remain are alive. We evacuate this earth. We get a glorified body in the twinkling of an eye, and now our bodies are made ready for the trip. Now, when is this going to happen? You know, well, I'll tell you what's going to happen. As soon as the church age is over, and we're in the last stage of the church age, do I believe it's soon? Yes, I do. Do I, do I believe that I will see Jesus return for his church in my lifetime? Yes, I do. And I've shared this before. I remember, I remember Caitlin and Kelsey, you know, when they were in like high school, middle school, you know, right in that age. There you go. They said, uh, Daddy, do you believe Jesus is going to come back soon? I said, yeah, I believe they're going to come back soon. I believe Jesus is going to come back soon. How soon? I'm not, I know he could come today. I said, why? Well, there's some things I'd like to do before he comes back. I'm like, like what? Well, I'd like to get married. I'd like to have children. Now they're both married, and they're thinking, yeah, the rapture would have been better. <laughs> oh, don't act like yours is above the rapture. Okay, we're in church. Okay? And, 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 and so what we do is sometimes we elevate things above <laughs> Jesus, the king of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, coming to get us. I'm telling you, that's a bus I'm looking forward to ride. I'm telling that's a trip I'm anxious to take. I, he's coming, and he's getting us. And if you're ready, you're going. And if you're not, you're staying. And in that moment, when you see everybody else go, or you show up on Sunday, and there's an empty bulletin laying out there, oh me, oh my, you're in big trouble. And, and so Jesus and, and Paul and John, they give us a hint about how we should look for his imminent return. Listen, imminent return means this. Nothing else has to happen. He can come back today. Everything's done. He could come back before we finish this message. Before we finish this service, he could come back. Jesus said, it happens in an hour as you think not. Paul said, it happens in the twinkling of an eye. John says in Revelation, shortly and quickly, these things will take place. Jesus said, nobody knows the day or the hour, not even the Father in heaven. Excuse me, only the Father in heaven. I remember when we were in Chattanooga, and Steve, you may remember this, there's a little book out that says, 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1988. Anybody remember that book? Yeah, I read that book. I, I knew he wasn't coming back in, 18, in 1988 because Jesus said nobody knew. But you know what he did? It made me think about it. What if he came back 1989? Okay. What if he came back 1987? Okay. It made me think about, man, he's coming back. And I need to be ready. I need to make my soul ready. Because when he comes back, I don't want to miss that great catching away harpazo rapture. I want to be counted in that number that ascend with him back to the heaven that he's been building for 2,000 years. And so, so how do we... How does that change our life? How does that move us? Well, the theme, the vision for 2019 is beyond these walls. 
So here's what that means. He's not finished with the church. I know because we're still here. Well, I don't know about you. I'm still here, okay? I could guess about you, but I only know about me. So the church is still his tool for the kingdom expansion. And so beyond these walls, it's about this church, among others, being engaged in a battle against the enemy and letting Jesus rescue and ransom souls from the enemy camp and placing them on a pathway, a journey headed to heaven. And so if you're here today and you're saved, you're born again, I want to encourage you and challenge you, man, just get serious about serving the kingdom. Get serious about giving everything, time, talent, tithe, all of it to the kingdom and let God use you for kingdom expansion. However, there's people here today, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You may have been like Zach and you got baptized or you may have made some kind of commitment. You may have attended church a lot. You may have done this thing or that thing. And all of that is wood, hay, and stubble. There's only one thing that matters. And that is what you did with Jesus Christ when you had the opportunity to do something with him. And there's people say, well, I'm not going to get saved because... I'm just not ready. If you're waiting on you to get ready, you'll go to hell getting ready. Because you only get saved when the Holy Spirit draws you into his grace. And everything in me believes that today there are those in this place that you know with everything that's in you that you're separated from God because you have not done what's right with Jesus' son. And I want to tell you, he loves you. He's inviting you just like last week. He's knocking at your door, and he's saying, if you'll open the door, I'll come in, and I'll have supper with you. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.